Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. Um, happy Easter to you all. Uh, we're starting a new series. If you're new with us, uh, you take a topic and talk about it for several weeks. So it's a good week to be here because you're in on the first one. Um, it's called the Doubters Club, and I think it's a club that we all belong to. Today's topic is dealing with your doubts. <clears throat> of course, a couple days ago, we celebrated um, Good Friday, the day that Jesus died. And he was hanging on the cross, one of the last things he said was, it is finished. Not, I am finished, even though he was dying. It is finished. His task on earth to come to live a perfect life, to suffer and die, so he could pay the debt of sin that you and all of us have toward God. And it was paid in full. Finished. Paid in full. And then he dies, and then, of course, today we're celebrating the resurrection, and um, we have 13 accounts of appearances of Jesus with different groups of people, according to the four Gospels we have. He met the women at the tomb. He met seven disciples. He met ten disciples. He met with eleven disciples. Met two men on the road to Emmaus. He met people on the beach um, and eventually on the mountain, uh, his last appearance, to like 500 people. So we have all these accounts of his uh, resurrection appearances. So we're going to read one to start off our uh, topic this morning. This is Matthew's account. And I love that each account's a little bit different. Everybody remembers or sees things differently. <clears throat> so Math Matthew's reference is, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, <clears throat> excuse me, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. This would have been that Sunday morning after crucifixion. Uh, text goes on. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Now, one thing I don't like about the clip we just showed, why was the stone rolled away? Was it rolled away for Jesus to get out? No. He didn't need a stone to be rolled to get out. But it was rolled away so people could get in to see that he was no longer there. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow, this angel. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a, they fainted, in a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. And what did the angel say? Don't be afraid. Usually when angels showed up, it was a fearful thing. And it almost always the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Well, you kind of are scary, but okay. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he had. It happened. All right, he said it happened. Come, see where his body was lying. So the angel said, don't be afraid. Come and see. And then later, after they said, go and tell. And so Jesus hangs around for about 40 days, <clears throat> these appearances. And then he has what we call the ascension. He's gathered with those people on the mountain up in Galilee. And um, the last thing he says is what we call the great commission, go into all the world and, and share the gospel. And that's one reason we take missions offerings to help do that, accomplish that. And then he ascended. Now, I don't know about you, but I always try and picture these things in my head. So I don't know if he just kind of disappeared or if he just kind of slowly floated up in the air. doesn't really matter, I guess. Uh, I'm just curious. And um, something he's ascended. He's gone. Now, so what do the disciples do? After the crucifixion, 
Well, what you and I would probably do, which is a very fearful time. They killed Jesus, you would think, but possibly they could kill his followers. So the disciples were basically hiding. But just before Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew, it records something else I think is really fascinating and amazing. So this is just before Jesus said, go on to all the world. Here's what he said. The 11 disciples left for Galilee to head to the mountain, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, or they saw him multiple times before, but when they saw him on the mountain for the last time, they worshiped him, of course. But notice then what the text says. But some of them doubted. <laughs> Wait a minute. You actually literally saw the risen Lord with the nail prints in his hand, and you still doubted? Is it any wonder then that you and I might doubt? Now, I call myself a skeptic, but by that I mean when I hear something, if I read something, my first reaction is, I don't believe that. It's just, just the way I'm wired. My wife's the opposite and drives her crazy when I do that, but um, she tends to want to believe whatever she, people tell her, whatever she reads, whatever. So I thought I'd take a poll. So how many of you are skeptics like me? You don't believe the things that you hear right away. Put your hands up. I'm trying to get a polls. see how split we are. Hey, I think we're the majority. Okay. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we're the majority. And the rest of you, you tend to want to believe what you hear, which is fine. All right? As long as it's a good source. I want to know the source. Now, I might be a skeptic initially, but if I find out the information's good, then I'm all in. And hopefully you are too. Now, a weird thing about human nature is this. If I find out something that you've done bad, it makes me feel better. Isn't that strange? You know, I might have messed up doing something, but you messed up worse. It makes me feel better. At least I didn't mess up as bad as you messed up. And so, pastors don't have special lives. We have the same problems and troubles everybody else has. In fact, I've heard it said this way, when the, they passed out the no problems card at the end of seminary, I, I missed that day. I wasn't in that line. So I have issues and problems just like everybody else, including doubt. <clears throat> so, is it real? Is the resurrection real? Sometimes I have no doubts at all. Most of the time I don't. Being a pastor, you wouldn't think I would, right? So I believe everything I read in here. I, I spend a lot of my life um, committed to this, dedicated to this. But occasionally, I'll get this thought that plops in my head and it says, well, maybe this is all just make-believe. Maybe there isn't a God. Maybe that's just a fairy tale. and you know, It doesn't last, and obviously, very long for me most of the time. But I know for some of you, it is an issue. And so church is really kind of a scary place if you've got doubts, isn't it? Are people gonna, what are people going to think if, or say if I, if I say, I'm not sure, quite sure about that. I, I have some doubts about that. You say, oh, what's the matter with you? You don't have enough faith? Now, hopefully that's not what happens around here, but that's normally what we think. So it can be very uh, lonely, right, to be in doubt and not feel comfortable sharing it. And that's where some of you are. I'm sure. 
I'm going to give you a statistic later, I'm sure. So, question, why do we doubt? Lots of reasons. I'll give you a couple of biggies. Questions you can't answer. This could be questions out of this book. Looks like it says something here, something else that sounds the opposite. You know, how am I, what am I supposed to believe? Or it can be questions about uh, what's going on around us, uh, things we can't figure out. Leads to the second issue would be situations you don't, 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 just don't seem fair, right? We sometimes say it this way, why do bad things happen to good people? We reverse it, why do good things happen to bad people? It just doesn't seem fair. And you know, I, I read about the persecuted church and I read about the, the, the problem with hunger around the world. I, I just read this week about a country in Africa. 80% of the people are suffering from starvation. 80% of the people. That doesn't seem fair. So, God, if you're a good God, why are you letting 80% of these people in this country starving, especially the children? And then, of course, there's hurts that we can't resolve. Especially if it's somebody that claims to love God and, you know, supposed to love me and they've treated me horribly and, and I just can't get over the hurt and they're not, they're not sorry, they hurt me, whatever it may Okay, God, if you're God, why, why are you letting this happen? And then actions of some believers, hopefully the major, minority of believers, um, but they're just not very nice. They may be very religious, kind of like the Pharisees, but they're not very nice. They're hypercritical, they're judgmental, and um, I would guess some of you are doubters because of those kind of believers. So, what do we do with our doubts? Well, doubts handled properly, this is on your outline, those are your hell outlines, can be catalysts for stronger faith. They can be, we're going to talk about this, a process in your faith journey. You can be stronger on the other side. You can feel more connected to God, closer to God, understand God more, and understand your relationship with Him. So, I put it this way on your outline, faith is a journey. It's not a destination. I don't arrive some, you know, I haven't arrived and said, I've got a PhD in faith, I don't have any doubts anymore. This doesn't happen. Parents, especially if you raise your ch kids in church, and when you get to be teenagers, all of a sudden they don't want to go to church anymore, or they don't believe all that stuff anymore. And it's a little disturbing, or maybe even grandchildren, some of us have grandchildren. Um, but no, this is part of the process. Your faith can't be their faith. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. It would be wonderful if he did have grandchildren. But all my kids would automatically be in the, have faith. Or yours. Or our grandkids. So, don't panic. Especially if you've raised them the best way you can. Hopefully, they'll figure that out for themselves. That, that the risen Jesus is, is really risen. He's, he's alive. It's real. So, on your outline. The strongest faith. I don't know who you think has the strongest faith. The people that have the strongest faith isn't people that never doubt. In fact, I, I kind of question their faith if they never doubt. It's a faith that grows through the doubts. Now, one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus in the New Testament talks about the disciples being in this room, and they're, again, they're afraid the door is locked, and Jesus appears. And he says a couple things to him. 
uh, in um, Luke's account. Luke's account, he says, okay, um, don't be afraid. Again, it was kind of scary. He said, don't be afraid. He said, peace. He actually said, peace twice. But then he said, he asked him, why do you doubt? Kind of fear and doubt are opposites, right? Or fear and no doubt, faith. Fear and doubt are kind of similar, aren't they? He said, why do you doubt? Of course, they have the risen Lord standing there right in front of them. And he shows him his hands and his feet. And then he says, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, then you need to forgive one another, which I thought was interesting in that context. So, just so happens that one of the disciples wasn't there. Let's read the text from John. Again, a little bit different. One of the 12 disciples, uh, can we pull that up? There we go. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. We don't know why. So there was 10 of them. There wasn't 11 of them. Other people too. They told them, we have seen the Lord. Now, the, 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 we, you can't get this from reading the English, but in the Greek, this is a tense, present tense, uh, whatever it is. Tim, you have to remind me. But anyway, um, Tim's the only one here, I think, that knows Greek besides a little bit of Greek anyway. It, it, it says, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord. Whether it's one person saying it over and over again, gr- groups of people saying it. Those of you with kids, you know, kids in the backseat on a trip, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That kind of a continuous thing. It's interesting, um, greeting at the door this morning, most mornings we, we would say, you know, how are you? Uh, today we said happy Easter. That's kind of our normal greeting on this day here. Early church, you know what the greeting was? He is risen. And what was the response? Who knows? He is risen indeed. That'd be cool. I'm going to bring that back, I think. Come to church on Sunday morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Somebody texted me that this morning. He is risen. I responded, He is risen indeed. So we've seen the Lord. He's risen. Now, Thomas had a nickname. Now, we have a nickname for Thomas, but it's a little bit different. Who knows what Thomas's nickname is today? Doubting Thomas, right? And here's where, where we get it from. He said, you know, they said he's risen. He said, I, I won't believe it unless I see the nails. The nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, place my hands in the wounds in his side. Now, one reason I think Thomas has got a bad rap, why did the other ten believe? They'd already seen, Right? Any of them might have said, I'm not going to believe unless I see. So, maybe he's not a skeptic. Maybe he's just a realist, okay? I don't know how many of you have read Oswald Chambers. He really got great stuff to read, kind of deep. Uh, He said this about doubt. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong or a person is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking it's always good to think. It's always good to question. Because once you question, then you get your answers. Your belief is stronger. Now, if I asked you if you're going to rank, the, the, we'll just rank the top 11 disciples. We know Judas would be number 12. We might put Peter at the top or John at the top. But I would suggest to you that I, Thomas should be there about third. Uh, half the disciples, we don't have any record of them doing or saying anything. So I want to give you two accounts quickly of 
Thomas's interaction with Jesus. Why I want, I'd like to rank him probably up there around third. Story about Lazarus, some of you know that story. This guy dies, a friend of Jesus, named Lazarus. And they call for Jesus. They hope he's sick first. They're hoping Jesus will come and heal him. But then he dies. And so he told his disciples, Lazarus is, he said he's asleep. And then he said, no, we're confused. And he said, no, he's actually dead. And then Jesus says this, for your sakes, the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. So this is going to be a faith test. Come, let's go see him. Now, who speaks up? Peter often, but here it's who? Thomas. Nicknamed the twin. Said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Nobody else said that. Now, anytime Jesus got near Jerusalem, it was dangerous because the religious leaders wanted to kill him. So it was a threat of death. And Thomas is the one that says, let's go with him, even if we have to die. So there was a, a, a courage about him. There was a faith about him before that incident we read where he missed the resurrected Jesus. And then on Jesus' last day of his life, we talked about this last week, he was teaching all that. John especially records a lot of stuff he was teaching. In John chapter 14, most of you know this probably, he says, uh, you know, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And you know where I'm going. And somebody speaks up. I don't know how many are thinking this, but somebody speaks up. Who speaks up? Thomas speaks up. He said, oh, wait a minute, Jesus. Uh, we missed something here. We're not sure where you're going. We have no idea, in fact, where you're going. And so how can we know the way? And then the next verse is one that's pretty familiar to most of us. If you're not familiar with the Bible or a Jesus follower, we're delighted you joined us. The next verse says, I am the way, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, some people complain, well, you know, can't you get to God some other way? My response is, at least there's one way. One way is better than no way. So here comes the big question. Thomas, doubting Thomas. How did Jesus respond to a doubter? In this case, Thomas. So, back to our text in John. Eight days later. This is eight days later from the time he had met the first ten disciples, right? Bring that up, please. Eight days later, disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. We don't know why he wasn't the last time. But I want to give him some respect for the fact that he showed up. Just like you people showed up today, right? You may have your doubts, but you showed up. He had his doubts, right? But he showed up. The doors were locked again. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. So, you may have your doubts for whatever reason. Reasons we mentioned, some other reason. But I would encourage you, like Thomas, keep showing up. Rather here or some other church or online. Show up. Then, Jesus, he, he, he's in this room with 12 disciples. He turns to Thomas, all right? He's going to say, Thomas, what's the matter with you? Didn't, why didn't you believe? Is that what he says? What's he say? Just like Jesus, Thomas, here I am. Put your fingers here. 
Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Don't doubt any longer. Believe. Now, Thomas said he would believe if he saw. Now he saw. Does he believe? Absolutely. He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas explained. So, Thomas was a doubter. How did Jesus treat doubting Thomas? Gave him what he needed, right? Gave him what he required of him to believe. And I believe he does the same thing for you and I. If we truly seek, if we truly show up, we'll eventually he will supply what we need to believe. Put it this way on your outline. One moment Thomas was doubting, the next moment he was shouting. Praise God. Jesus is risen. So a couple comments about uh, observations about doubters. God isn't dis is not distant in your doubts. God doesn't say, hey, if you're going to doubt, I don't have anything to do with you. Doubt. In fact, there's nothing you can do to make God leave you. Not to come after you. And so, yeah, we should wrestle with God. We should have questions. God's not a... That doesn't bother God. In fact, I think he appreciates it. Once we're seeking, we're trying to figure it out. Okay, that's good. Thomas got his answer. The best we can, we can tell, he went on to serve the Lord the rest of his life. Tradition says he went to India and died a martyr. We don't know for sure. But he saw the risen Lord and he served him. As we talked about last week, he served him the rest of his life. So, on your outline, your doubts don't disqualify you or me or your faith. God's perfectly fine with doubts. In fact, I think he accepts them, expects them. So again, faith is a journey. None of us are going to have PhD faith this side of heaven. This is not going to happen. It's a destination that we keep growing or striving to get there. You will doubt. In fact, there's somebody here, somebody watching that doesn't doubt. I want you to come and talk to me. I'd like to meet you. I've not met that person before. The problem is when we doubt is that we have, a, we have an enemy the evil one, Satan, devil, whatever you want to call him, and he starts whispering in our heads, right? He says, ah, God, God's not real. God doesn't care about you. I see when those bad things are happening. You know, if he's a good God, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Satan, ah, God didn't really say you were going to die. So he, so he whispers those little things in our ear. So we've got to make sure. <laughs> Block those out. So greatest doubters, I thought this was interesting, I got to think about this. Some of the greatest doubters often became the strongest believers. Whether it's Thomas, I thought about Paul. Talk about a doubter. He was going around killing Christians. Now we probably put him second to Jesus almost because he wrote half the New Testament, right? So faith isn't the absence of doubt. So on your outline. Faith is the means to push through the doubt, to get to the other side of the doubt. And God will draw you through that. And when those little thoughts of doubt pop into my mind, you know what I do? I call it my spiritual memory. I think of all those times that, that I felt like this with God. Those times when I, 
God brought tears to my eyes. That God was as real as He was standing right here in front of me. And I had those memories over and over again. So it's a little easier for me to push aside those doubts. But that this amazing statistic, 50% of you that are Jesus followers. I know some of you aren't, and I'm glad you're here. 50% of Jesus followers have extended periods of doubt. Thank God I've never had an extended period of doubt. But half of you have. And maybe half of you are right there, right now. So I want to end with this. Most of you probably know the 23rd Psalm. And there's a verse in the 23rd Psalm that goes this way. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I'm going to editorialize the Scriptures a little bit. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So you and I are passing through that valley of the shadow of doubt. The key is to just keep walking. Keep showing up. Don't stay there. As always, I like to give you something to think about for the coming week. Um, some of you have the Bible app on your phone. There is a reading plan called Doubting God. If you don't have that app, this is the Scripture readings for each day. If you have the app, there's actually a devotion you can read also. So, if this is something of interest to you, I would encourage you to do that. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, I thank you that doubt doesn't disturb you, even though it kind of disturbs us. I feel like I, I don't have enough faith. What's wrong with me? Uh, someone's afraid to, sh to share that with other believers. But you're okay with that. And it's part of the process. Faith without questions, I don't think, is a real faith. So I want to pray for anybody here today that's a believer that's in a period of doubt, whether short or long. And I think the fact that you showed up on Easter, maybe you haven't been regular, showed up on Easter, you're... You're still showing up. You still want to get to that doubt. And I pray today is a, is, is a help, a step in that process. Of course, anybody that's not a believer, you're a big-time doubter, which is perfectly fine because we all were there at one time. We didn't believe. So I pray today was the, is a day that you would take a step in the process to coming to believe. But, Dad, but God's okay with that. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to forgive your sins if you'll let Him and invite you into a relationship with Him. Anyone that wants to pray that prayer, please let us know so we can help you through it. God, we thank You that You love us unconditionally, doubts and all, as we say, warts and all. We thank You that we too, like Thomas, the twin, not the doubter, the twin, even though maybe initially he was a skeptic. When he had the evidence, when he had the proof, he was all in. I pray that we too would be all in. For your honor and glory, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.